This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Dina Titkaba, the Health 10X Program Manager at the University of New South Wales, and Vesna Todorovsky, Global Health Tech and Innovation Program Manager at the George Institute for Global Health. We talk about both Dina and Vesna's respective backgrounds that led them to be involved in designing and delivering the Health 10X Program within the University of New South Wales Founders Program. The Health 10X program supports Australian innovators develop affordable and scalable health solutions for global health challenges, with a focus on addressing the rising burden of non-communicable diseases and injury in under-resourced settings. Dina and Vesna describe how the program works to help establish or accelerate the business growth of health tech and digital health startups. We discuss what makes health tech startups successful, the relevance and value of mentorship and collaboration ecosystems, including some innovative takes on accessing capital and HR. We also work through an acknowledgement that modernising healthcare must also consider the healthcare professionals and what will also enhance their lives to balance out the growing demand for healthcare. In this respect, we explore the concept of a digital health nomad and how this might be a key cultural change to move healthcare to the next level. So where is health tech going? What will the world look like with more health tech in it? We work through these ideas and bring out some of the essential considerations when thinking about health tech and digital health innovation. Let's jump in. Hey there, Dina and Vesna. Thanks for uh, coming along today. How are you both? We're good. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us, Yoni. We're going to talk about Health 10X and the program you've got going on at the University of New South Wales Founders but just before we get into that, I'd love to find out a little bit about your respective journeys that bring you to this point. Perhaps, uh, Dina, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yes, thank you, Yanni. Originally from Russia, trained as biomedical engineer, just to realize that I would love to be more on the business side, not on the engineering side. So went into industry that took me then into studying bioentrepreneurship at Karolinska in Sweden where I discovered the exciting world of startups. It was a uh, days when digital health was a new world back in 2012, and everyone was excited what the technology will bring and how healthcare will be improved. So I engaged with the startup scene back in Stockholm, which was vibrant. And then due to family reasons, we relocated here in Australia, where I continued my search for being engaged with the startup ecosystem down here. And that's how I ended up having a Health Next program manager role at the University of New South Wales. So still with working with health startups, but down under. Fantastic. So you've seen a, a few different marketplaces uh, as far as how these ecosystems get together. So I'm looking forward to having that chat with you as well. Vesna, what's, what's been your journey? My journey has been a little bit of a crazy one. It's uh, certainly not a straight line. It's more of a zigzag. And I like to say I'm a, a Jill of all trades. So I, I have a health degree, didn't know what to do with it, and fell into working in universities, first in student recruitment, 
which has been a big topic over the last year. We've seen how international student recruitment and declining numbers has affected the university sector. And then from there, I made my way into the world of our research funding and grants for universities and eventually specialised in grants and funding for health and medical research. And I decided that's where I wanted to stay. I've, I always wanted to find my way back to working within the health sector. I've been where I work now at the George Institute for Global Health. I've been there now for eight years and I've worked across a variety of programs and projects there, always on the operational side and supporting the research that the George does. And for the last few years, my focus has been on commercialization of, of health and medical research, firstly via commercialization funding. And then I began to manage our innovation and enterprise program at the George. And one of our key programs is Health 10X, which we deliver with UNSW founders. And that's how Dina and I came to meet and work together. Look, that's great. And maybe that's a good segue just to touch on the George Institute and give us a little bit of background as well, because uh, well, I guess we'll focus on the the Health 10X program, but it is a collaboration, isn't it, between the University of New South Wales and the George Institute. So tell us a little bit about the George Institute. The George is, it's a medical research institute, an independent medical research institute or MRI. It's like uh, any other Australian MRI and how it operates, but it's unique in, in a couple of factors, one of them being that our focus is on global health. So it's in our name, so therefore it's it's our key mission. And we have a key focus on affordable and accessible healthcare. And most of our research programs are around non-communicable and chronic disease and injury because these are the largest disease burdens that we see globally. They're the largest killers in Australia. And so that's where the bulk of our work has focused. Although having said that, last year we did design and launch a few COVID trials. We're always on the edge of research, the focus always on global health. We're also unique in that we have an in-house commercial arm, and this is not very common for MRIs. So we have our research institute, and this is a non-profit, operates like a typical MRI, and our commercial for-profit arm, which is where we launch products through and also have our in-house contract research organisation. So we're, we're full service, we work hard, we work a lot, we saw a gap in the market in terms of what accelerators and incubators offer in this country to health startups. And there was a clear gap around affordable, accessible healthcare, innovation for low resource settings and for underserved populations and communities. And that is where Health 10X was born out of. Maybe Dina can talk a bit more about the genesis of Health 10X with founders. Thank you, Vesna. And that was actually an exciting journey for both UNSW founders and for the George Institute for Global Health, because what happened around 2018, beginning of 2019, we joined forces and formed a partnership to launch Health to Next program using all the foundation that UNSW has built, thanks to the ambition of being the most entrepreneurial university in Australia. And thanks to the insights into clinical system and biggest global health challenges from the George Institute and their vision of saving millions' lives worldwide, we basically joined forces and we launched Health Next, exactly as Vesna saying, to bring to the market more affordable health solutions, because that was a clear gap that both institutions agreed on exist and invested resources, set up a team, 
we're going into third year now with the Health to Next program, and we hope it will be a great one. It's great to establish that because it does draw on a diverse range of skills, capabilities and resources where you're bringing those perspectives together. And this is something that I advocate for very strongly in the Health Tech X community. It's never go it alone, always bring in all the perspectives that relate to healthcare. You know, we need to look at it through the eyes of the practitioner and through the eyes of the client and through the mechanisms, the modalities, you know, the possible technical approach to addressing that problem or opportunity. And then there are stakeholders, obviously, whether it's government or investors, as the case may be. So I think it's great to see that in action with this program. You're walking the talk. You're not only looking to support people in their own journey through startup, but you're actually representing the ethos of actually drawing on those collaborations to make it happen Perhaps, Dina, tell us, tell us about the Founders Initiative at the University of New South Wales, because there are a number of programs, aren't there, of which the Health 10X is a part of it. Perhaps I'll let you just sort of walk me through the, the overall approach. So UNSW has established a new strategy, which is called Strategy 2025, that clearly states that we would love to be the most entrepreneurial university in Australia. So basically for UNSW founders, the journey started back in 2015 with a very classic way, workshops, student competitions, hackathons, and so forth. There was a tiny team managing all the events happening on campus. Since 2015, we have introduced a number of key offerings, everything from running our own makerspace into running pre-accelerator program and launching our flagship Founders to Next program back in 2018 to support high-growth potential startups to launch, scale, go global, and so forth. Last year, we also launched our own angel investment course because we realized we do need a bit more early investors in Australia, so we're driving an angel investor course together with the business school at UNSW. So with all this infrastructure in place, how we work with the George Institute for Global Health, we really combine our capabilities and build on everything that we have. Makerspace, which is support with prototyping, UNSW networks, resources such as student placements, or maybe internships, uh, the office that we have for startups here, and all the educational and training capabilities on the startup side. And then we have the George coming with them deep clinical and medical uh, healthcare expertise, bringing key experts in the field to educate startups on the topics of clinical trials, regulatory aspects, and so forth. And I'll let Vesna talk more about this. So what's happening was really exactly Yang you mentioning. It was an ecosystem, a partnership effort to combine the strengths, the networks, access to resources from both organizations to deliver something that will be tailored to support health tech startups and set them up for growth using all the resources. So it's not a standalone offering, just Health to Next program, let's say 10, 20 weeks per year, and that's it. We surround startups with all types of possible support, prototyping, mentorship, coaching. And then once they go through our program, they become our alumni. We love them as much as we love our participants and we continue supporting them through their journey as well. There's quite a journey to go from having an idea. It's not exactly a straight line all the time. 
is it? Yeah. Uh, there's quite a journey and there's a lot of processes that you need to go through. So, you know, you, you talked, uh, you, you sort of remarked a little bit there on hackathons, for example, and ideation and looking at prototyping and what have you. So that I think it's fair to say that's kind of the, the very early stages. But then as things are starting to form out of that, you then uh, are either seeing potential or you're not, or perhaps not yet. And there needs to be more research that goes into the evolution of that particular idea. So it sounds to me as though you've really thought through that whole journey up to the point of that commercial success and that expansion stage. Uh, Is that sort of a fair summary of how the program is structured and and what it anticipates from founders? 100%. Thank you, Yanni, for summarizing it this way. That's the (laughs) whole idea that we support innovators from ideation stage to scaling globally through a number of services or programming that we provide to them. So it literally starts sometimes with ideation workshop that we run, which is one hour, or design thinking, or user-centered design, rapid prototyping, or we can hackathon. When we see these entrepreneurial ideas with our participants, And then their journey starts. Of course, they pivot. Of course, they change along the way. It's never a straight line. But we have a few absolutely beautiful stories when we saw a startup going from idea into launching through support of different services that we provide. And that's how we would like to operate. With uh, Health to Next, uh, specifically, me and Vesna, we also always open meeting with health innovators. So we never, ever say no to any health innovator startup, someone with an idea knocking on our door. We'll always have a meeting. We'll always discuss how we can help. And we basically start working sometimes in even informal way before we welcome participants into the structured time-based program as well. Let's put some body around that. So typically... Who are you speaking to or seeking to engage with? Is it students? Is it health providers? Is it people in the entrepreneurial, commercial? Who are you targeting? So we do target all of those. We may have a bit more exposure to different types of innovators just to the nature of our roles. So for me, because I'm based at UNSW, so the initial starting point will be always what's happening on campus. But then because the program is national and we accept startups and uh, participants Australia-wide, we would also explore how we can work with startups from around Australia. And then I guess for Vestnet, it will be slightly different with more with your exposure to researchers and clinicians through the George. As Dina mentioned, the focus is very similar, slightly different at the George. We collaborate much more with clinicians as well as researchers. So certainly the focus is there. But the fact that Health 10X isn't a national program and doesn't limit participation to university or, or MRI staff, students and alumni is another unique selling point that we have. And it's something else that I think makes us stronger as well because it it allows us to tap into health innovations that are coming out of our immediate world and build capacity beyond the healthcare sector as well. What we see basically over the past two years, we don't have one specific target group. Our cohorts are very diverse. We would have everyone from passionate 
undergrad students who want to change the healthcare back home and they are on the mission uh, to digitize it to current PhDs or academic staff within uh, respective universities or startups who's been operating for quite some years on the market and may have already raised some funding, but they see the value of having UNSW and the George Institute as their partners because they see value of accessing particular resources or expertise. So it was a very diverse startup and that's why we never limit and say we look for this type only because this diversity on its own allows peer-to-peer -peer learning and networking within the cohort when startups with different backgrounds start connecting, sharing resources, introducing each other to potential experts as well. So we keep it open. As Dina mentioned, we we don't say no to any meeting requests from health innovators. We probably should learn the word no, but we, we don't. <laughs> so we will take the time to learn about any startup or any founder's idea. I really like the Get Involved call to action on the website with uh, University of New South Wales. I think that's great because it represents what you're talking there, which is basically if somebody's identifying and, and has that kind of entrepreneurial energy percolating inside them you know they come from a provider standpoint or they come from a developer standpoint or, or maybe even somebody who's been working in an advisory role and really needs to find an outlet find a way to get this idea out is it a good idea is it being done is it a identifiable quantifiable problem to address so that get involved call to action really resonates i think it's great to be able to explore that first take i've often found and my reflections on the industry when it comes to trying to start something up is that from a distance there seems to be this kind of pathway where somebody with an idea thinks that they can bring some passion and a PowerPoint presentation and show up and try and raise some money and everything's going to be great. It's kind of the glorified pathway to startup success, but it's so uncommon for that to be actually successful. You know, you could be lucky, but statistically it's highly unlikely that that's what's going to happen. So I think that first take is a really important part of the journey because it, it, it can help qualify whether the idea is worth moving further with. And one thing that a lot of startup entrepreneurs may not realise is that the more you collaborate, the more feedback you get. Whereas uh, a lot of people try and hide the idea because they think the idea is the value. Oh, I've got an idea. This is going to be big. It's going to be a huge idea. No, it's just a thought bubble. I often say ideas are cheap execution is where the value is and, and actually being able to deliver on the idea and manifest it into reality and influence culture and drive, you know, human behavior. That's where the success lies. And you can't do that in isolation. You have to put it out there and the world will either go, no, I don't like it. It's not going to work. We, we have no interest in this. Or the world will go, tell me more. Oh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? So is that kind of a philosophy that resonates with your own program? I'd Yes, thank you, Yanni. Again, we could not put it in better words. <laughs> That's exactly what we do. The whole thing, uh, always how we start working with the founders is tell us where the idea comes from, of course, but then how you validate it, that there is a need on the market. And that's where the conversation starts. And it's different type of conversation, of course, with those who've been maybe in the industry, they will have one approach. If it is someone coming from academia, it will be another approach and we will work with them on the risking. How we explain to our startups always, if you meant to fail, our task is 
for you to fail earlier rather than later when it's too late, because we do have an opportunity to pivot. So we have our internal so-called coaching roadmap that we have developed using the latest lean methodology principles and all the experience that we have across both organizations. And we use this internal coaching roadmap through all our programming, through one-on-one conversations to make sure that our startups has all the fundamentals in place before they attempt to build the product, manufacture the product, do PR, launch, uh, do a big launch and so forth. So the risking as early as possible, exactly. Iterating, taking small steps regularly will create the momentum and be reinforced by the people who you're proposing to actually um, help or support with addressing a problem. One maybe uh, important point to add to this iterating and proofreading with our startups over the past years, it's really digging into expertise within the George to understand really deeply what is the need, what is the problem. So not even relying on simply customers' interview, but understand the processes. So best maybe you can talk more how we use your experts to really define and understand and risk startup ideas. Thanks, Dina. When it comes to expertise at the George, I can confidently say the expertise is broad. It's very inspiring, sometimes intimidating for me, the the wealth of knowledge that we have there. And we're quite lucky to draw on on such a, a broad range of expertise internally. We have our research projects and programs span everything from cardiovascular disease to neurological diseases, injury, which I mentioned before. But we also have specialty groups within the George. So we have health economics experts. We have in-house statisticians. We have a food policy group who are very, very active and influential in that space nationally. We have a global women's health program, which is one of our younger, but certainly very active and successful programs. And we have a very respected and and very productive Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health program as well. So we draw on all of those elements. Although we do have uh, researchers and clinicians taking part in Health 10X, we like to assume limited knowledge for participants coming in. And so we we structure our health content modules as such. So we provide introductory modules around health financing, health economics, how to speak to health consumers, how to engage with health consumers, how to engage with clinicians for people who are coming from outside of the healthcare sector. We also very well known for our clinical trials expertise. It's it's something that we have honed over 20 years. We're very productive in that space. And so we offer clinical trials modules as well for people who did not know what a clinical trial may involve and, and what, it, you know, the timeframes involved, the cost, um, all of those elements, depending on what our cohort needs, we break it down into clinical trials for devices, for digital health startups or for therapeutics. So we're we're quite lucky to have that wealth of expertise behind us. And similarly, we draw upon experts within the UNSW. I always talk about the things that make Health 10X unique. And and this is, I think, one of the key elements as well, that we have all of this knowledge to draw on and we we certainly make them work for it. (laughs) Tell me, Vesna, a little bit more about the clinical trials. So you touched on digital health and digital health therapeutics. Obviously, the pharmaceutical industry and, for lack of a better term, the physical therapeutics 
there's fairly well-established programs and processes and, and regulations and, and what have you. Digital health therapeutics and, and digital health interventions, have they arrived or are we still, we're still trying to get something going in those areas? What's your, what's your take on it? Now, I'm certainly not an expert in this field, so take what I say with a grain of salt, but I don't think that we've reached the peak of what we can see with, with digital health. COVID really brought about, it was a catalyst in many ways for, for what digital health can do and the, the potential of it. And in some ways, it's a shame that it, uh, it took a pandemic to unlock the potential of digital health and to put that into practice. But we saw how quickly it could be done when we needed it to be done. We saw how telehealth was able to be rolled out. Of course, it's not perfect. It's a system that will evolve, but it was needed and it was done quite quickly. In Australia, we're, we're scraping the surface of digital health and I think we will only see more and more offerings in this space. And we certainly do attract a lot of digital health startups, Health 10X, it really seems to be mostly digital health and medical devices for us so far. Would you agree, Dina? Yes, that's digital health and medical devices for sure. And that's exactly with the program structure, we look actually who is coming into the cohort to provide the relevant workshops and expertise mentorship as well to those startups matching their needs. So the whole approach on our side has also been adaptive and uh, we never set in stone what we will draw upon, but we're trying to build an ecosystem around the program and we call it an ecosystem. And whenever we speak to startups, we openly saying that, yes, you have first and myself with a particular expertise, but what we are doing day after day is building this ecosystem of experts around the program on whose knowledge you can rely whenever you, you need access to this type of expertise. So I think that's the pathway that we took. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I'd echo your thoughts there, Besna, around digital health therapeutics and also lamenting that a pandemic was the acceleration um, event. We think about the diversity within our population, some of the complexity that brings about traditional approaches to healthcare. We think about how the real world and the digital world have definitely infused into one another in terms of our day-to-day consumption patterns and the way we go about life and social networks and entertainment and events and all of that kind of stuff. So it seems to me a really you know, why is it taking this long? Now, there's definitely my area of focus is in the mental, physical and nutritional health and wellness sectors. So I have seen adoption of technology for the better part of 10 years, but not necessarily in the digital health therapeutics or intervention side. It's kind of, it's not as widespread as it could be. And even telehealth, you know, it's generally seen as video, voice and chat. And there's there's so much more that we can do to actually bring the workflows and engagement techniques that we know in technology generally help drive adherence or commitment to various objectives in line with it, with the healthcare goals. We've got a bit of a ways to go. You know, I kind of think that the technology is the easy part. It's more the culture that we have to continue to work on. And part of the challenge in healthcare, notwithstanding the, uh, let's call it the specific clinical challenges, is that we also have growing populations, increasing demand for healthcare services, which is putting strain on the supply side. And we have to think outside the box to address that. We need to think about how distributed healthcare systems can actually make a real difference to matching supply and demand and being able to deliver healthcare in the right place at the right time. So 
that's kind of a little reflection I have on the opportunity for digital health. It's to actually move in that direction where we are not just reimagining healthcare through the lens of a consumer, but also through the lens of the provider. And we recognise that on both sides, there are human beings. We have to think about what's in the best interest of the providers as well. What's going to be good for their health and wellness in the workplace setting? And where is the workplace? It's no longer, strictly speaking, in a clinic. It could be on the road. It could be at home. It could be from a different location, anywhere, anytime. What are your thoughts around a snapshot in time in that context when you think about the consumers versus the providers and how we how we find a good fit for both sides of that healthcare experience. I absolutely agree with, with everything that you've said in terms of how to best harness technology for health and considerations around the human element on both sides. I absolutely agree. And I think because it is still quite new for us, telehealth is is evolving, as I said, in this country. And I think it we need it has to work in harmony with the existing healthcare system it's not the be all and end all there's always a time and place for for telehealth but it is not always appropriate and and we are lucky here in australia well i don't know if lucky is the word but we you know geographically most of our population is quite concentrated so how do we harness technology for australians who are not in urban areas, so where healthcare is not as accessible, should that be the priority for telehealth, for example? But certainly, I think you you raise a really important point that perhaps was lost a little bit last year in the convenience of everything, and that was the priority. But certainly, there are people on both sides. There is the consumer and the clinician, and and I have spoken to clinicians who who don't really like telehealth and they they do need that interaction with their patients. So I think it's a really important point and I think we'll see much more of that, how telehealth works in harmony with primary care in the years to come. So if we take, for example, UNSW Medicine, Faculty of Medicine, they already realised that they need to train the next generation of health professionals in a different way to make sure that they are so-called digital health literate healthcare professionals who are not afraid of technology and who check technology as an enabler rather than as something that will replace doctors going further. So there is an education element happening. There is a technology that's already available. Uh, last year we saw government helping with on the policy side of things, but the change should come from all the different stakeholder engagement. And that's something... I believe is happening. We'll see at what pace, but I think we're moving in the right direction. There's definitely some interesting discussions that circulate the industry around alternatives to the human beings providing the healthcare. And I kind of just scratch my head at that thinking. I know sometimes it's just about somebody trying to sell some AI or something like that. And it's like, okay, you're really trying to emphasize the potential. But in healthcare, it's such a it's such a human service. And we're seeing the science moving in a direction where just paying attention to somebody can help reduce their pain. The human interaction, I, I don't think, should ever be the target to stop that by using technology. It's quite the opposite. What we should be doing is thinking about the impact on our healthcare professionals so that they're not getting burnt out. They're not getting increasingly busier and busier because of the demands rising and, and, you know, the inability to dynamically address that. You know, it's often a lag in terms of where the demand drives then the recruiting and training and developing of a workforce. 
I have a kind of a concept in my head now called a digital health nomad, which is an idea of somebody who can provide healthcare services, but not strictly speaking, do it in a location-based or uh, employment scenario, but actually interact with the healthcare system as a service provider in a way that really blends nicely with their lifestyle choices so that they're um, optimising their own life experience, you know, but they've got skills and capabilities to add value to consumers in our society, to, to the people in our society, but they're finding a nice blend between their professional aspiration as well as their personal aspirations. We've done that in tech, haven't we? We've done it with web developers and software developers and, you know, the technical side seems to be involved in that area. I know there are challenges one way or the other, but uh, if you can't think it, you can't make it happen. So it's kind of one of those things where I think we do need to bring some more of that provider side innovation into the into the mix as well. There's a lot of focus on the consumer. What are your thoughts? I would 100% agree that we need to have more providers who will be driving, bringing those needs and challenges that needs to be improved. Another thing that we advocate and would like to see more is to see more innovations for prevention and also the change happening in the way healthcare is being funded. So those preventative primary care solutions actually receive the, the attention they deserve and the funding they deserve. Because so far, unfortunately, it's not a very well-balanced system when we invest more in the hospital care and in treatment, much more than rather we invest in the prevention. So that's another side of the coin to look for once providers is absolutely should be those bringing the needs. But we would love to see the change shifting more to the prevention side because, again, how Health to Next kicked off, uh, the George Institute who works with global health across different countries. They see the need that healthcare expenditures and requirement for healthcare is rising at such a speed that you cannot have enough healthcare workers providing healthcare to everyone in the way we did before. So there should be a change on technology side, policy side maybe as well, funding side. I agree with everything Dina has said. We come back to funding and the lack of funding and the lack of capital for for health tech in Australia. We can have this conversation a thousand times and Dina and I often do. So I certainly agree with with everything she said and prevention is a key focus of a lot of the work at the George Institute because we're dealing with many so-called lifestyle diseases where prevention is quite key. But Yanni, I love your idea of this digital health nomad. I think we need to get that trending um, on social media. I, I really like that concept. And I I agree. I think for, for years, the, for the last few years, certainly the focus was on patient-centered care and, and rightly so, because for a long time, the voice of the health consumer was, was muted, perhaps not listened to at all. And so patient-centered care was very timely and needed. But I agree with you in that some innovations need to be driven by healthcare providers and by clinicians, and they need to tackle the issues that we see, burnout is a big one, absolutely, training a, a, a workforce appropriately. And if you take the lens of what we do at the George in terms of global health, training a workforce for low resource settings. So how do we train frontline healthcare workers for under-resourced communities where they may not, where they don't have access to the type of healthcare that we need? So I, I think we, we do need more involvement and more innovation being driven from within the system, absolutely. And it need, it, again, it will work in, in harmony with the consumer-driven innovation. 
But perhaps that is the next big trend, digital health nomad. <laughs> I've got a vision for it. I think it's possible. We need the, the health tech to move at human speed. You know, we're always imagining what the world might look like, you know, this futuristic kind of, every time we talk about tech, that's what we associate. We sort of say, oh, you know, we're going to travel to Mars and we're going to be flying to work. And there's all of these kind of, you know, futuristic representations of the tech. And yet here we are, this is where we are today. So we need sort of the the culture in our community to incorporate that innovation. I guess that's part of the secret to success in a way, isn't it? It's it's kind of, it's not sort of saying, here's some health tech and if only you did it our way, life would be so much better. It's really a, a question of being led by that cultural evolution and, and looking for those cultural innovators to then define what and why, and then sort of, you know, bring the tech along to support that in terms of how. What's your take on that? That's what we see works best when you have pioneers or someone, key opinion leaders within different stakeholder groups. And just to give you a few examples, for example, in our mentor portfolio, we have different type of mentors. Someone would come from with a clinical background, there will be a practicing clinicians who already realize that they need to work with startups and tech innovators if we really want something to happen because they need to join forces. We have people who are managing healthcare organizations, bringing their insights as well. Maybe more traditional research community. You still will identify few research groups who would think about innovating and making impacts through research differently. So we start working with them. And what we do afterwards, not a, there is not a secret sauce, we start to- telling stories. What's happening when someone realizes the opportunity that it sits at this cross-section between what they do, what they used to be doing for years and how it was traditionally working, if only they start collaborate across disciplines, across organization or within the ecosystem. And basically, one of our tasks as well, of course, it's education and cultural shift bringing and nurturing this health tech entrepreneurial ecosystem in Australia, identifying those pioneers, helping them to grow, telling their stories so other people get inspired as well. That's fantastic. So it really kind of doesn't matter where you come from today. Like you could be a provider, you can engage with the Health 10X program and you can get access to developers, other subject matter experts, support in terms of advisory and consultation, the mentoring, the coaching. You could be a developer and then get access to providers who are going to give you the insights on. It's a great model. And I think for innovative listeners, it's a great opportunity to start that journey of translating any thoughts around, well, imagine if we had A or B, or imagine if we had something that actually addressed an opportunity or a problem that they see before them. What do you see in the future? Are there certain areas that you're focused on in the healthcare domain or in terms of the model that you're taking forward? Tell me more about your vision. What's it going to look like in five to 10 years' time if Health 10X has success? I think we'll have a complementary answers as well. So in terms of the vision for Health 10X, what we would like to see is basically hundreds of affordable health innovations that are brought to the market by interdisciplinary teams, right? So we want to see those innovations that can be used at Sydney CBD, Melbourne CBD, and so forth, that can be implemented, let's say, in rural areas or in developing countries, where 
really scalable across the globe and can address a major health challenges. So that's a major vision when it comes to the launching the solution themselves. But the second part of the vision that we work, for example, here at UNSW, building entrepreneurial culture on campus and beyond to enable completely new generation of capabilities in Australia to create jobs, to drive the prosperity. So Australian economy is really innovation driven and entrepreneurship driven more than let's say mineral resources. Vesna, I'll just let you talk from the George perspective and your big vision. Thanks, Dana. Absolutely agree. I think there are still gaps within the ecosystem, within the health tech ecosystem, within health and medical research, commercialization, and even at the micro level within the MRI sector, there are gaps. And what Health 10X wants to do, we want to support the ecosystem and keep developing it. We want to plug those gaps within our sector so that there are clear pipelines for innovators coming out of medical research institutes, out of universities, and also out of a clinical setting and so that they are well-resourced and the pathway perhaps will become less convoluted for them, less siloed and truly national. It would be fantastic to have a truly national program in the sense of having hubs around Australia. I can imagine that we would be able to do that at some point. <laughs> it's, it's a pipe dream, but I think having a very well integrated and, and well resourced incubator that works the way that we do with that global health focus, building capacity within the system from that very early stage, so from from ideation and really connecting researchers to the broader ecosystem and helping them translate their work, which is really what they're working towards in terms of health. So that's that's our grand vision. I think that's great and well overdue. I've seen these types of movements in almost every other sector other than health tech and in part that's what motivated me to develop the Health Tech X digital health innovation community and to seek out alliances like and these types of relationships uh, because you hear agri-tech and fintech and every other industry has a classification in the venture markets or the venture capital market, so to speak, which mobilises the capital and the resources. It's good to see health tech growing and also sitting distinctly from med tech per se, because I think there are two categories there. They can be synonyms or interchanged, you know, by some, you know, the med tech is reasonably well established and the health tech has the emerging opportunity now. And so it's it's great to see and I really appreciate both of you coming along and sharing the vision, telling us a little bit more about Health 10X, as well as uh, the collaboration of the George Institute, that kind of, you know, global view in helping entrepreneurs to move into an ecosystem where they can be surrounded by the right types of skills and capabilities to help propagate the idea in a successful way. So thank you both very much for coming along today. Thank you so much for support and, and the time, Yanni. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Yanni. And taking digital health nomad, uh, something as a tagline maybe for the future. Digital health Thanks, nomad, Yanni. you like that one. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. keep talking we about that, that one. Hashtag. Most definitely. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, 
healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you liked what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.